All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. And Derek, uh, we've got some awesome stuff happening uh, online. Check it out, RetroTimePodcast.com. Uh, we've got some new stickers. Check out those Goico with Retro Time stickers, peak software shit. They are shipping. They are ready. They're in. We got them in this week. Um, so, so check them out. Um, like us. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to do that. We don't have sponsors. We don't make any money doing this. Labor of love, Derek. So uh, if you want to help us out, five-star review. Don't forget, Derek will write you a song if you leave a five-star review. So now that we got that out of the way, Derek. Derek. Hey, Jeremy. Derek. (laughs) I am so excited about this episode today. Um, Possibly uh, our biggest biggest guest yet. I, I can't tell you how excited I am. You're probably... As excited, I would Giddy. imagine. This is the word. Um, hopefully, hopefully Bob is as excited as we are. <laughs> Maybe we should ask him. You want to go introduce Bob? I'd love to. Go so for it, Derek. Do today it. Do we honors. have a man who needs no introduction. I've never had to say that before, but I can say it today. A man who needs no introduction. Uh, five-time Grammy Award winner. Um, <laughs> uh, he's uh, Don't that. Just the Grammy. Former, <laughs> former, they're going. Yeah. former astronaut. Uh, uh, I, know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So Uncle Bob, he's uh, he's kind of a, a legendary figure in the field of software, architecture specifically. You know, he's written books that you don't even know you're influenced by. <laughs> you know, like uh, you know, because people you work for probably were influenced by him. Um, clean architecture, clean code, just a variety of different great things in the past. He's a blogger. Uh, we'll talk later about some of his hobbies, but uh, we're just. Honored to have Uncle Bob on. He was also there at a very momentous time in history, which we'll also talk about. Uncle Bob Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you so welcome. much. Welcome. This should be fun. Oh, so good to have you. <laughs> We're excited. So, uh, so I mentioned that momentous time in history. I don't know if anybody on the call knows this, but Uncle Bob was there when the it's. I mean, it's, it's like meeting someone who was there at the Declaration of Independence signing. You know, it's like. <laughs> Uh, he was there at the signing of the Agile Manifesto uh, at the legendary ski lodge that we've read about in, in our storybooks. I heard um, there was food. You guys went to eat. That's right um, at, the, at the top. Well, yeah, I think they brought some <laughs> snacks in from time to time. They brought some <laughs> snacks. So uh, I was curious, uh, Uncle Bob, from your perspective, what brought about that session? What what made you guys want to fly up and, and, and ski together and, and figure out a new way to do software? How much time do you have? <laughs> as much as you need. <laughs> Got all day. Well, let's see. It starts about four and a half billion years ago as the <laughs> Earth cooled. Um, it, it actually does go back in time a fair bit, and we, we probably ought to talk about that. The, uh, the, the whole agile thing goes back right to the very start of software, probably even before that. There were two primary mechanisms of of thought back then about the the building of things. And one of them was um, what you would call agile. It was um, trial and error, short cycles, make a lot of mistakes, kind of tinker it together and and make it work, which was used by lots and lots and lots of people throughout history. And then there was another idea, which was plan it all up front, design it all up front, get everything right, uh, and then build. Mm. And the latter was called scientific management. And the first one had no name at all, except maybe tinkering. And that was that was very prominent throughout history. These two ideas fight each other. As software began in 1945, 
right? Alan Turing is putting together, you know, relay machines to break the Enigma codes and, and, and win the World War II and so forth. The tinkering idea was prominent. They just kind of tinkered and tinkered and tinkered and made things work. It didn't change until about the 1970s. In the 1970s, there was this movement to start planning everything. All this tinkering has to go, right? We need to, mm-hmm. we need to plan. We need to analyze first and plan second and build. And if we do that right, then everything will be lovely. And I I won't go through the long and torturous history there, except to say that that idea dominated us for 30 years. It just sounded so right. Mm -hmm. But about 1995, a whole bunch of us uh, who had started during that period and lived through it, a whole bunch of us kind of went, you know, this doesn't feel quite right. We've been trying it for 30 years. We can't seem to make it work. And we started seeing papers showing up in various conferences about the tinkering idea again. By 1995, the first paper on Scrum had appeared in in the patterns community. Uh, Alistair Coburn had done interesting work on the crystal methods. Uh, uh, Jim Copeland, Cope, Jim Copeland wrote papers about the the best um, processes that he had seen over the years. And and he definitely favored the tinkering side. So right around 98, 1998, I'm a C++ consultant. I'm traveling around the world yelling at people because they're doing C++ (laughs) wrong. And they're they're asking me to help them design their system. So I'm I'm working through object-oriented design stuff with them. And I was a student of Grady Booch. So I was able to take the Booch method and tell people, you know, how to do the Booch method of object-oriented design. And these, these clients of mine would come back to me and say, okay, that's great, but what's the process? And I'm like a techie, you know, I'm a programmer. I don't want to know about process. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, they're asking me process, process, process. So I have to I have to sit at home and think, OK, what am I going to tell them? I actually wrote a process, which was terrible. You don't want to know about it. But I actually wrote <laughs> one. But in the in the process of researching it, I come across Kent Beck. And, you know, this is before the Facebook and before Twitter. And, you know, there wasn't any sure. major social network like that. We did, however, have wikis. We did, however, have you know, social um, posting areas where we could do research like this. And uh, I run across Kent Beck and his work on this thing that he has just named extreme programming. And I, I start reading through his very sparse documents on this, on Ward Cunningham's original wiki, c2.com, still there. Go to the very first wiki ever, c2.com. You will find the, all of those discussions are still there. Fascinating. And I think, well, wow, this is pretty cool, except for this test first thing. That's nonsense. But everything else, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. I like it. And I just happened to be in Munich in 1999 at the uh, OOP conference, big conference in Munich, still going on today. And uh, I was teaching a class in one room. And lo and behold, in the room right across from me is Kent Beck teaching another class. So at, at a break, I pull him aside and say, you know, we should talk about this extreme programming thing. 
So we had lunch together in Munich at the conference. And he, he starts to give me the spiel. He's selling me on this extreme programming thing. I was already sold, but he's selling me anyway. At the time, I was the editor of the C++ Report. That's back when we actually had print magazines that came in the mail and people actually read them. You know, <laughs> I remember. Yeah, those. I was I the editor in chief. Uh, and uh, I'm always looking for columns. You know, I need authors to write columns to put in the in the magazine. So um, Kent is doing a great job of articulating. And I say, Kent, write me a column. I'll put it in the C++ Report, which he did. And it was a well-received column. People liked the idea. So I called him up at some point, I got a, oh, a month or two later, and I said, I'd like to fly out and talk to you about this some more. Because I think, Kent, you and I and, and Martin Fowler and a few other people should start teaching classes on this. Huh. So um, I flew out to Medford, Oregon, where he was living, and he and I spent two lovely days together planning how we were going to conduct courses. And in the midst of that, he took me to his his uh, lab and he and I sat down and we wrote a Java application and he showed me pair programming and he showed me test-driven development. He showed me refactoring and it just blew my mind. I, I, I had never seen software written this way before. I'd been a software developer for 30 years at this time. I didn't expect anybody to show me something new. And here That's it was, amazing. right? This, yeah, this wow. idea of writing code in these tiny little increments with lots of tests. So I had to go home from that and kind of uh, purge my brain and, and work that through and, and learn the discipline. We, uh, we came up with a plan for doing classes uh, and I went home and we gathered everybody together. We signed contracts and we started teaching. Siri, you know <laughs> what I said. Sorry. So uh, okay. we start teaching classes, and and this is right at the height of the dot com bubble, right? So everybody yeah. is investing in software. If it, mm. as, as long as there's a J anywhere in the name of something, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars would go into it because it must wow. have something to do with Java. Anyway, it, people are just flooding into these courses. We're having, you know, 60, 70, 80 people in these courses. We're teaching them once a month. We're taking them all around the country. Uh, and it's a, it's just a, a wonderful success. We had uh, Martin Fowler and Kent Beck and, and Ron Jeffries. And we brought in Tom DeMarco for one of these things. It was, it was a really big gala affair. These were five day courses and they went 12 hours a day. <laughs> so so oh, very geez. intense stuff. In the midst of all this, mm -hmm. right around um, 2000, right around 2000, maybe the fall of 2000, Kent Beck says, hey, we need to meet back in Medford, Oregon. I'm going to gather everybody. We're going to go to the XP Leadership Conference. So he, he pulls everybody together and we have this lovely couple of days, you know, boat rides on the Rogue River and hikes and Beautiful. stuff like that. But we met a number of times to discuss what to do about this extreme programming thing. And in one such meeting, the idea came up of forming a, uh, a, a nonprofit organization that would involve not just extreme programming, but Scrum and FDD and a few others. Mm -hmm. And in general, the people there did not want to do this. They had all been involved with the patterns community for several years and they didn't like the way that worked out. And so they all kind of had this negative vibe and they walked out of that meeting 
with the with the idea that they weren't going to do anything like that. And and that frustrated me because I thought it was a great idea. Let's do this nonprofit. We need to do something to to uh, push this idea forward. And I said so in the meeting and then left it kind of frustrated. But Martin Fowler chased me out of the meeting and said, we need to meet. So he and I met in Chicago about two weeks later. And uh, the idea was, okay, what we're gonna do is we're going to compose an email and we'll send it out to a whole bunch of computer experts, software experts around the world. Uh, and we will invite them to some Caribbean island and we will um, uh, discuss this idea of unifying uh, extreme programming and Scrum and FDD and finding out what is common to all of them and promoting it. And I sent this email out. Martin Fowler and I composed it. I sent this email out to a very large invitation list. One of the people on that list was Alistair Coburn. Hmm. Alistair calls me within seconds, I think. You know, it was, it was like, <laughs> you jerk, what the hell did you send this out for? I was just about to send the same thing out and you beat me to it. Uh, but I like your uh, your invitation list better than mine. Can I add my <laughs> invitation list to yours? And in return, I will do all the legwork if we can have this in Salt Lake City. Well, you know, somebody volunteers to do a lot of work. You say yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right. so all of a sudden, we're going to be meeting in Salt Lake City. And he sets it all up with, at Snowbird. He and Jim Highsmith do all the legwork. And 17 people fly in all on our own nickel you know nobody's nobody's sponsoring this thing right so 17 people out of the 30 or 40 who were invited um flew in and we have often been chided because it was a bunch of middle-aged white men but we didn't actually invite some women they just couldn't come right so yeah for whatever reason so in the end we have this nice meeting the meeting begins the way meetings like this always begin. Um, I, I stood up, I, I introduced everybody. I said, okay, we're all here and we need a manifesto. I sat down. I liked the word manifesto. I thought oh, yeah. the word is kind of cool. <laughs> it's very edgy. Yeah, yeah. Right. Manifesto. So very revolutionary. That, that was my contribution. I sat down. I don't think I did anything else. And <laughs> we, we did all the normal things you do in a meeting like this. We wrote index cards. We wrote things on boards. We argued and debated. And, and um, I think our expectation was that it would end the way meetings like this normally end with, you know, a, a fun couple of days and everybody goes home. But something happened the second day. I, there's debate about whether it's the second day or the first day. I kind of think it was the end of the first. Other people tell me, no, no, it was really kind of in the <laughs> middle of the second day. But there was this magical moment. And the, the person responsible for the magical moment has been lost to history. I think it was Ward Cunningham. Other people think it was Martin Fowler. There's no clear evidence of who it was, but somebody, got up to the board and wrote this interesting sentence. And the interesting sentence was something like, we, pref we, we value these things on the left more than the things on the right, although there is value of the things on the right. And that phraseology just kind of, you could feel it in the room, right? There was this sudden kind of, Ah, 
-hmm. all the tension levels dropped mm -hmm. and everybody's kind of, you know, looking at the board without much on the board, except that statement going, yeah, that's really what we're trying to say here. And within about an hour, the four lines were up. You know, we wordsmithed it a little bit and kind of chuckled it together and, and said, yeah. And, and, and I got to tell you, you know, these 17 guys, you know, these are all software consultants, right? They're all, you know, high ego, very opinionated guys <laughs> do not agree with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and we actually invited people who were opposed to the idea because we wanted the debate. We had the, the right. pragmatic programmers there. They were deathly opposed to any kind of process. We had Steve Meller there. He was the guy pushing, you know, analysis and design. It was, it was remarkable that all these guys who disagree with each other, look back at that board and went, yeah, that's what we want. And Ward Cunningham stood up at that point and said, well, I think I'm going to make a website uh, and I'm going to get people to sign it. Now, this is 19, it's 2001, 2001. And the web is not like everybody's, you know, favorite tool yet. Right. Uh, and, and the idea of having people sign this document, most of us just kind of went, yeah, whatever. But he, <laughs> he put that up and uh, surprised the hell out of us. The tens of thousands of people signed the damn thing. The meeting continued. Um, but it was winding down at this point. It was like, okay, we're done. We know what we want to do. And then, and then we had one last meeting about, uh, what should we call this? And there were a whole bunch of ideas. And one of them was adaptive. My favorite was lightweight. You know, I, these are lightweight processes. We should call it lightweight, <laughs> but nobody liked that because nobody wanted uh, to be involved with something that's that lightweight. Right. And the word agile came up and we all kind of sneered at it and went, nah, that's a terrible name. There's got to be a better name. <laughs> and then there was a vote and agile won by, you know, a small minority. And we're all kind of going, that's eh, a dumb name. Okay, whatever. We'll call it agile. Who cares? This isn't really going anywhere. And then we all go home and, you know, the floodgates open. It was, uh, it was a remarkable <laughs> outcome. Now, I've been to a lot of meetings like this, you know, where we're going to go change the world and then nothing at all happens. This one, for whatever reason, yeah. had the effect we wanted. So I'm curious, like, what do you think was the reason? You said you've been to a bunch of these before. Um, do you think you can pinpoint now, 20 years later, what it was about this particular meeting that took off or is it just the people involved? Or no, I, I don't or? think it really had anything to do with us. <laughs> dumb luck. Right? <laughs> I don't even think, well, dumb luck that we were the ones who were there maybe, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but the ideas were already in the industry. There was mm -hmm. all of this stuff was bubbling to the surface. If it hadn't been us, point. it would have been somebody else, you know, a day later. Like I said, mm -hmm. Alistair called me up like within seconds and, you know, said I was just about to call the same meeting. I don't right. believe that he was the only one who was just about to call that meeting. Right. <laughs> right, so we right. just kind of got there ahead of everybody else by a fraction of a second. Um, okay. But the, the really the reason this really took off is because the industry was sitting there uh, pretty much going to do it anyway. <laughs> Desperate <laughs> right. for something. So, so OK, right? yeah, we got there first. That's interesting. So, you know, I've been wondering this for a long time. And uh, when I heard that this was all conceived at a ski resort, my first question was, how much of the Agile Manifesto was conceived while sitting in a hot tub? <laughs> um, uh, I did not go to any hot tubs. I'm actually not a skier. 
So I didn't okay. I didn't actually get out on the slopes. A number of my buddies were out on the slopes quite a bit, but there was no point in time when all 17 of us were sitting in a hot tub sipping brandies going, so Derek call this agile. The agile metaphor. No. So that didn't Derek and I Derek and I we were talking about this uh, some time ago. We just imagine everybody just like crammed in a hot tub just talking about nope. <laughs> talking about this. Did not happen. No, okay. Well, well, we'll we'll edit this part out. Nobody will have to know. <laughs> Nobody will know. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll just take preserve, the didn't and just edit that the part illusion, out. right? Yeah, yeah, that's the illusion. so funny. Um, so you guys meet. You guys have this aha moment. The manifesto is created. The is, is is that the point at which like the website kind of went up? Maybe a little while later. Yeah, to, Ward to went it? home. He had the website up within a matter of a day or two. Gotcha. Um, and I've taken a look at that website. Like it's been the same essentially since yeah. it was. In, in, yeah. yeah. Why it change it? That's, I was looking at it, it's like it's also you know for me it's it's possibly the most punk rock website <laughs> on earth. It hasn't changed since the 2001. It's like this band has been playing the same awesome music <laughs> since 2001. Why change it? And I love it. So the, you know everything was conceived. The website went up, and then the tentacles seemed like they started to move into industry yes. do you have any sense of how that happened and- oh yes <laughs> oh yes yeah <laughs> so uh, there was a lot of enthusiasm at first you know the first few months you know lots of enthusiasm lots of people posting articles on you know the news net and i don't think there was facebook or anything like that yet there was no twitter but there was plenty of buzz about mm. this uh, and then it started mm-hmm. to kind of settle down mm-hmm and Kent and Martin and Ron Jeffries and I and several others were still teaching these very popular courses, right? The, the dot-com bubble is still there. And um, I am in the midst of teaching a class. Kent is there. I don't think Martin was there this, this time. Ron was there. And we had about 50 people. And it just so happened that we were teaching this in our office in Chicago area. And the date was uh, September 11th, 2001. Wow. And all of a sudden, you know, the news, you could actually get news on the internet at that time, right? So yeah. uh, we had people set up in these in this classroom um, looking at their screens, typing code. We had given them exercises for code. Everybody knew immediately. Hmm. And there was this, it was really interesting to watch this because all the students who knew that their life was about to be really disrupted um, put their heads down and they continued to work. And they continued to work for the rest of the week. That happened on a Tuesday. They continued to work for the rest of the week. They, most of them had no way to get home. They'd come from all over the country. The flights were all grounded. There was a few right. flights that yeah. you could get on. They were yeah. very special flights. Kent Beck actually yeah. managed to get on, on one of those to get back to Medford. Uh, most of them rented cars to drive back to where they were going. And the dot-com bubble broke. And all of a sudden, you, nobody wanted software developers for any reason at all. Uh, there were software developers standing out on the streets going, we will code for food. It was, a, uh, a, it was one of the only <laughs> recessions we have ever had in the software industry. And it was very short-lived. And didn't didn't last for a very long time because the demand for programmers is always ridiculously high. So, but for, during that period, the whole agile thing just kind of went down. Mm. 
Ken Schwaber came to me, um, oh, six months later or so, six months later. And he said, I've got an idea. Um, I'm going to start a class called um, Certified Scrum Master Class. Um, mm. <clears throat> and at, my, my, you know, at this point, warning bells are going off in my head because I don't like any kind of certification. And it, this one sounded really screwy because it had the word master in it. Right. Hell. But I know Ken very well. He was there at the Snowbird meeting. I've had a number of good interactions with him. He comes to me and he says, can I use your classroom to teach this first class? Right. Because I had a number of classrooms at the time in our office. Uh, and uh, he said, in return, I will train all of your guys to be scrum masters. Well, this, you know, I, he's a friend of mine. I said, sure, go ahead and use the classroom. Uh, and if any of my guys want to go, they can go. That's fine. I didn't go because I had to teach something somewhere else. So I am not a certified scrum master, <laughs> or, nor will I ever be one to this day. Um, <laughs> but that was the beginning, the beginning of the certified scrum master idea. Mm. Now, for one reason or another, project managers around the world suddenly thought that this was a great idea. And the, the notion of a certification really got them, right? They wanted that in their resume. So project managers started flooding yeah. into the agile community. I was, at the time, I, I and my company were responsible for the only uh, agile conference, right? The, uh, we called it Agile Universe. And we had held, held several of them. And all of a sudden, it's project managers flooding into this thing, right? Project managers, holy cow. Uh, and it had been programmers. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's a completely different population of people. And the whole nature of the, of the idea changed. It, it changed from a, an idea for getting software done in small groups into a project management philosophy for all kinds of things. Mm, yeah. Now, at the same time, Ken Schwaber and I were, were working on forming the and, and a number of other people were working on forming the um, the nonprofit, the Agile Alliance. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that came into being, and I was the first president. But I, you know, I was that for a year, and I, that was during terrible times, so not much happened. Ken Schwaber became the next president, and he started this program of doing conferences and so forth. So now there were two conferences: the Universe Conference and the Agile Alliance Conference. They very quickly got merged. Uh, and now there was one conference, which still goes on today. The Agile Conference still goes on today. <clears throat> it became oh, wow. dominated by project managers. Now, this has two effects, right? One is that you've got all these project managers pouring in, which changes the flavor very much. But you also get an awful lot of business buying. The businesses were liking this. So it was that that yeah. caused Agile to really become popular. The word agile became very popular, mm. right? And lots of project managers wanted to get certif certification to be scrum masters. And, and the idea just you know, poured through the industry. A lot of the people who went to the uh, agile snowbird meeting, a lot of those 17, uh, not a lot, but some of those 17 became certified scrum masters, right? In order to continue to teach these ideas. So is that kind of where Agile and Scrum started to kind of merge together? Because they were kind of separate before, right? Well, they, they merged at the Snowbird meeting, right? Ken Schneuber oh, was okay. there. Jeff Sutherland was there. 
um, the the whole idea was to merge these ideas. That that's what the manifesto was for. Uh, mm -hmm. But because of uh, the CSM training and the whole idea of certified Scrum masters, Scrum became the dominant agile um, method. Uh, I see. And I see. It, nowadays, uh, the name Scrum is synonymous with agile. The vocabulary of Scrum is synonymous with with agile. Uh, agile is essentially Scrum with a couple of other little additions. Or maybe Scrum is agile with a couple of other little additions. I'm not sure. sure. <laughs> yeah. you want to look at it. So this is a question I've always I've always had. So I, I'm a UX designer, um, and traditionally speaking, um, you know, UX has had a very hard time fitting in with the agile methodology. <laughs> and I'm curious, going back, you know, when this was conceived, UX was was barely a thing, if it was a thing at all. Nielsen Norman Group was kind of doing their thing for a while, and people like Jared Spool, um, maybe it was called human computer interaction or something, but it yeah, wasn't yeah. this 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 idea of UX like we we think of it today. Uh -huh. I, I'm just curious, going back then, is was design ever something that was taken into account? Uh, the word design, it just it just fills me with angst and horror. <laughs> What I'm curious, what about it? The word uh, design in, in software mm -hmm. circles, the word design meant software design. And then all of a sudden, right. you guys stole it. <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> design means something about UX. Sure. Now, uh -huh. you know, you know, I'm a software architect. I'm a software designer. And all of a sudden, I cannot call myself a software designer. Because if I do, people uh -huh. think and I'm a UX do. guy. I'm not a UX guy. Right. I will right. tell you that the, the UX community was early on, very opposed to Agile. They hated the yeah. idea yeah. because they wanted to do plans. They wanted to mm -hmm. do storyboards and plans. They wanted mm -hmm. to work out the whole user interface up front before anything else. Sort of, and there was just no other way to do it. And you know, we're in there, you know, software programmers telling them, no, no, you can tinker it. You can tinker right. the UX together. You really can. You can put little mm -hmm. prototypes in there and, and then expand them and get them. But no, no, you can't do that. <laughs> you know? So so we had a terrible time with the UX community at first. They, uh -huh. they, were, they rebelled. The software architecture community rebelled. Mm -hmm. There was actually a book that was published, an anti-agile book uh, that was published <laughs> right around 2002. <laughs> just just to yeah. communicate to everyone about what a terrible idea this all was. <laughs> so I have a yeah. this this is going to be the most controversial question I ask. So I have a question. Uh, probably. Of a, <laughs> we, we could go more. Oh, we can go. I know we can get controversial, <laughs> Uncle Bob. Oh, I know. <laughs> Not today. Oh, no. Uh, but I, I, I was curious because I had a friend. We actually had him on the podcast. My friend, Brian Friedman. He's a kind of acolyte or follower of Javal Lowy. He he works on this thing called the method, which essentially is design upfront process. He wrote this book recently called Writing Software. He's uh he he designed WCF for Microsoft, and it, it's it's somewhat incremental and somewhat not, and so you know it's like. Mixing all these ideas together. How am, I, how am I trying to put this? Yeah. Are the agile concepts still something that we need to iterate on and learn more from and and build on? Or, or are these core concepts, you believe, kind of just core concepts that we can use in our in the way we do our software? Yeah, I, from my point of view, these are core concepts. They don't need to be iterated. They never were iterated the, it, because the, the concepts are iteration. <laughs> Just like, okay. how, do, how do you iterate? Right, fair iteration? enough. I, I, yeah. 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 Um, 
So I, I don't, and, and this is something that lots of people want to do. They want to take agile into the future. Right. Mm-hmm. Agile was 20 is now 20 years old and it right. must be out of date. Don't you think anything 20 years old should probably <laughs> be out of date? We need new ideas. Yeah. This is an this is a disease that has infected software uh, for some time. Right. And and it comes about because of Moore's law. My theory. This is my theory. Okay. Right. Moore's law drove our drove the hardware through so many orders of magnitude of increase that mm-hmm. it's just b- brain boggling. You, you see behind me, there's a little mock-up of a PDP-8. It's blinking some lights back there. Right? That, that machine had 4K of core. That was a lot. You know, we could do a lot in 4K. Right? It had a cycle time of, a, of a half a mic, uh, two microseconds. Right? So, so you could execute a half a million instructions per second. You know? there, there was a disk drive you could get for that. It had 32K. It's an immense amount of storage. And we, we would edit our programs on paper tape using a teletype at 10 mm-hmm. characters per second. And that was computer power in the 19, late 1960s. That was the essence of computer power. And now look what we're doing. I mean, we're sitting here having a real-time video conference Unreal. over vast, <laughs> vast geographic areas. You know, real-time, real-time video, real-time audio going over the network. The computer's handling it just fine. My computer's doing a whole bunch of other stuff in the background too. I've got a spreadsheet up. I've got a whole bunch of other stuff up on my screen. <laughs> I've got a massive screen that has got like a billion bits on it. The, the difference in hardware has been utterly enormous. I can't, you know, there's 20 or 30 orders of magnitude in the change in the hardware. That sets an expectation. And the expectation is things get better every year. Mm-hmm. You, you may remember when you had to buy a laptop every year or a new desktop computer every year because it was completely out of date. A year later, it'd be completely out of date. You got to buy another one. Then you got to buy another one. And you start out with these machines that do, you know, they have a, a five megahertz clock. Whoa, man. The next one's got a <laughs> 10 megahertz clock. Oh. <laughs> I remember, you know, 95, I got a uh, 486 DX66, 66 megahertz. Now, you know, I'm dealing with 1.8 gigahertz okay. and there's four processors in the laptop. <laughs> that sets this expectation of constant growth, constant improvement. Mm-hmm. Everything's getting better and better and better and better. And this stopped cold 10 years ago. And the momentum, right? Moore's law is dead. We're mm-hmm. on the plateau. We're sitting on a technological plateau at the moment. But the momentum of that expectation drives everybody to, to look and say, well, it's got to be getting better. It's got to be getting better. There's got to be new ideas. There's got to be better languages and better platforms and better frameworks and everything has got to be getting better. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and we haven't gotten used to this yet. Right yeah. now, yeah. at some point, you know, life on the plateau will assert itself. And we in this industry will finally sit back and realize that we are in the same boat that the aeronautic engineers were in roughly 1955. That all the all the big ideas were done. The big ma- massive technical evolution was done. The 747 came out in the early 60s. Right. That was kind of the peak. Right. And then mm-hmm. there's been some improvements after that little incremental improvements with little little winglets on the side. Oh yeah, there's turbulence around the wings. Yeah, okay, we can fix that. And oh, with the computer stuff inside, fly-by-wire stuff, that's nicer. But in essence, a jet airplane made 
today is roughly the same as a jet airplane that was made 50 years ago. And that's also going to be true of software. We are now on the plateau and life on the plateau is going to be very different. I grew up on the exponential curve. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. (laughs) It's going to be different. Yeah. Back to your, to the, to your point though, about, um, everything has to be different. Uh, you know, being a UX designer, I started out, uh, first company I worked for was very waterfall. And oh yeah. We had these technical documents that were two inches thick. Derek, you remember I brought, I brought some in to just show you kind of what we do. We had all yeah. these use cases and I had, you know, mock-ups made. It would take me six months or something to do an entire application. And then we would start building and everything was very rigid. And if someone wanted to change something, why well, designed this thing? Why would you change? You know? And I think over time, what I've realized the difference between the roles of a quote unquote software designer, UX designer is you've got, I look at it as more of like visual design, UI design, and more of like interaction design. Um, and there's a difference there. It's, it's designing the buttons, the colors, the pixels, the spacing, the topography, things like that. This is where I think there's opportunity to do some things up front, things that are completely unrelated to the feature set, a brand build a brand. These are things that should be consistent over time, right? You can build a design system around those things and maybe design some components and those should should really stay the same. They shouldn't change. What you can then do if you have a really great design system, something like Google Material, for instance, right? You can go into a room with an engineer and whiteboard and you don't need a mock-up. You don't need a prototype and you can just think about a problem and go build it and test it. And these are things that over time... I guess I, I've just come to realize this agile concept is perfect. <laughs> if if you can get this is assuming you can get your Told team you, on board. Um, but you know, like if, if you have a really great design system and you have an established brand and all those things, they stay consistent. So the buttons are always in the certain spot and the, the, the wording is correct. You can go and build a prototype and iterate and release it and test it and change it. And, and, and that, is just so much more. I mean, you know this. I'm not telling you. <laughs> you you designed the system, um, but uh, you know. The, and and you know. I guess what I'm saying is like it's validating those things. Not that you you need my validation or anything. You know. But uh, I've I've definitely come come in into uh, this line of thinking, and and I was very much opposed to it before. And I think my philosophy is that you know the agile part is the is the building part. It's the code part. It's the it's the releasing part. There's a design part that maybe happens before. And when I say design, I mean visual design. I know, I know. Maybe some, some concepting, <laughs> right? Um, and I think this idea of storyboarding, having a general idea of the flow of an application and the workflow. Um, but the, the specific features within those steps can change and should change over time. And, um, you know, this is something I'm finding now very difficult to actually get implemented at work. Um, people release something and it never changes because there's a new thing to build, right? Um, and so that thing that we built is never actually, uh, you know, iterated upon. There, there has there has long been uh, this bizarre tension uh, in the software community. There are there are folks who believe that agile means nothing upfront, mm-hmm. and it, it never meant that. No, right. None of us ever said you should do nothing upfront. What we said was, A, don't do too much up front because it'll yeah. probably be wrong. And B, whatever you do do up front, you, it's probably wrong. Don't believe it, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure you iterate 
below that. Now you might get surprised and realize that some of the things you did up front really worked out quite well, but you should not be too surprised when you also realize that some of those upfront ideas you have to throw away because you have to validate with the user. And one of the things that happens, and it happens on every software project, is that the user nods their head and says, yep, that's what I want, yep, that's what I want. And then you actually show it to them working and they go, no, it's not what I wanted at all, sorry. I want something completely different from that. I don't like this and I don't like that. This happens all the time. And so we have to do this iteration technique. I think you're right, having a nice little toolkit of pre-designed widgets and pre-designed gestures and a, a, a conceptual framework upon which you can hang an application. I think that's very valuable. I think that's a yeah. good idea. But if you put too much rigidity into that, if you say, you know, the buttons mm -hmm. must look this way, right? Mm -hmm. you're going to run into right. trouble. Do you remember what happened um, when the web first started to become popular? We went from this period of desktop applications, which had a certain look and feel, to mm -hmm. web applications, which had a very different look and feel. Yeah. Right? And there was this, this philosophical difference between the two. At the time, I, was, um, I did all my personal finances on Quicken. Mm -hmm. And Quicken was a nice desktop application. It had a very nice desktop look and feel. But when the web came along, the, um, the popularity of the web look and feel became so important that the, uh, the designers at Quicken changed the look and feel of the desktop application to make it look like a web application. It wasn't running in a browser, right? <laughs> you know, right, it, it, right? There was no HTML, but they changed the look and feel so that it looked like, and, and really damaged the look and feel quite a bit as well. Made it a lot harder to use because the web in those days was not a very convenient mechanism for the kinds of stuff you'd want to do with Quicken. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know exactly what my point was there, except to say yeah. that be <laughs> well, prepared for some bizarre fad to come along and completely uproot this nice little set of concepts of widgets and buttons and things to yeah. come along. So what what you're referencing here is is actually a, a principle that you know people like Nielsen and Norman, uh, the Nielsen Norman group has kind of said for a very long time is people um, people are used to seeing things a certain way, <laughs> and when you change it. <laughs> Um, it's 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 more difficult to understand the reason or the purpose for the specific thing on the page. And so, you know, in a wind in uh, like old Windows, for instance, the buttons looked a certain way. Yes. Right. Yes. And the close button was in a certain position yes. and the order yeah. of OK and cancel were in yes. certain spots. And Oof. when you started to build um, these web applications, as you're saying, you're able to change them. You can reverse the order of OK and cancel. And now it's suddenly what I'm confused. Why is the close button on the left when it's supposed to be on the right? And this doesn't look like a button anymore. It's just just a, a rectangle now with with text, um, and so that idea of um, you know keeping keeping consistency across these applications, um, I think a lot of times, my my opinion, UX design is seen as visual design, and, and UX designers make things look pretty, and I don't think that's the case. I think UX designers make things usable. Yes, and well, if, that, that if should it, be the intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And using a predefined. Uh, uh, definition of a button, what a button looks like in your head should should stay consistent just to make it look pretty. If it's confusing and it's pretty, it's not it's not usable. It's not useful. So now let me tell so, you the opposite of that story. In the early '90s, I was working on a um, a suite of applications for the educational testing service, and the educational testing service was trying to create an automated exam for architects. 
And the idea was that the architects would sit in front of a computer terminal and they would draw blueprints using, using a, a, a GUI. And then mm -hmm. the, the system would score those blueprints according to architectural principles. And the GUI, they said, cannot look like any um, common tool. It can't look like AutoCAD. It can't look like anything else. It's got to look different because we cannot be seen to be giving an advantage mm -hmm. to AutoCAD users or someone else. So we purposely oh, I see. had to Weird. design a user interface that was unintuitive, <laughs> completely, oh, a, completely different from anything that was out there, just so that no one could be given an advantage. Wow. Never would have thought what of that as the a result possible of, thing. Uh, what was the result of that? Because I feel like if your goal there is to test someone's design, uh, architectural design ability, and you make it impossible or difficult for them to design something, how is that great? How could you grade that? You know, um, I'm curious. Was what was the outcome there? Was that, oh, it was uh, it was very successful. the The system was used okay, for years. Okay. Uh, okay. Architects in the United States and Canada were subjected to that test at at testing centers okay. around the country, and uh, I don't think it's in, in use anymore, but I, I think for at least a couple of decades, that was the primary way that was done. Okay. And the, uh, the user interface was different from anything you would find in a commercial design application, uh, mm -hmm. but it was not unusable. You just had to I get see. used to it. And since okay. everybody had to get used to it at the there same rate, kind of balanced out I the score. Okay. That's fair. It's interesting. That's it's fair. a different way to look at accessibility, knowledge accessibility. So your level of knowledge compared to someone else, competitive accessibility, something I never thought of before. That's really interesting. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, because you don't incur, you don't uh, get involved with that very often, but imagine you go to the DMV to get your driver's license. Like you don't want, you know, someone who's really good at their, or maybe you do because everybody uses an iPhone or whatever, a phone. Maybe you want to change the interface or something, but um, it's interesting. But you're not comparing, you're not actually scoring people against each other in that instance. You're just trying to get them a certification to move on. Yeah. Um, I, I had an interesting, uh, had an interesting experience recently. You talked about upfront design components, things like that. What I think a lot of people don't realize is that the CIO that is in place right now in your company probably won't be the CIO in place in that company in two years. Neither will the entire design team or their ideas or the system they're building, the one they're supporting, the thing they're building, the, the framework that some guy built because he's really sharp. That's not going to be around. And people don't look even a year or two in the future to realize like we need a like that level of stability in our organization in order to really feel comfortable about trusting some of those high level, you know, longer lived things. Anyway, um, made me think about that. Well, I'll tell you a story about that. <laughs> just since you brought the topic yeah up. yeah bring bring it on uh, uh the year was probably 2003 maybe 2002 and we were we were um uh doing an agile transition for uh, a very large company and uh we get we went out and we coached them and we trained them in all the disciplines and, and it was a wild success right the uh the, the software developers really took to the idea that doesn't happen frequently by the way but mm -hmm. they all took to the idea and and the managers all kind of got engaged it took a few months but they did and um the the vp of the company got you know accolades and awards and he went to computer world and they wrote articles about it it was it was a, a wonderful success just great it was the kind of the premier agile success for uh, a year or so. And the VP was so successful that they promoted him. 
And they brought in another VP. And that VP looked around and said, I need to kill all the lion cubs. <laughs> and he just killed everything. This can't be agile. No, this is bad. No, we're not doing agile. We're not doing any of this stuff. No, nothing that other guy did. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to ride on his success. And he killed it. He literally killed it all. Half the, half the developers quit because they weren't going to go back to the way, way things were. Mm -hmm. It's a, a very interesting um, problem when somebody gets promoted or someone needs to, needs to move on and someone else comes in and they need to make their reputation and they can easily destroy years worth of, of uh, progress. <laughs> oh, yeah. And these are things you touch on in your books as well. You know, I, I've, I've tangentially, you know, you touch on these kind of risks and concepts. So for our listeners out there. Yeah, the, um, the inner office uh, politics, I think, it just ruins. And I think that we talked about this a lot. You know, software is very straightforward. And, and you know, I type what I type and it, I do it correctly. I get some software. But the, the hard part in software is, is always the people. Um, we interviewed John Arundel recently. And, and one of the things he said was, you know, it's always a people problem. It's never a software problem. <laughs> Well, there are software problems, but yeah, <laughs> most of the time. There's an awful lot of people problems yeah. out there. I, I, yeah. There's a, a T-shirt that I in particularly enjoy, which says uh, politics ruins everything. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's very true. Fair yeah. enough. Um, uh, so, Uncle Bob, we've had you on for uh, a decent amount of time. We've taken a bit of your time. Do you have a couple more minutes to answer a few more questions? Oh, sure. Or sure. talk to us? Okay. All right. We're really enjoying this. This is a, a, yeah. an absolute delight. So I see in the background there, you, it looks like you've got uh, quite a setup. Uh, you want to tell us about that? Uh, so that's a flight, flight simulator. simulator. Yeah. It's just cobbled together out of com components. I've got three screens so I can look out the front window and look out the two side windows. And I've got a nice, uh, nice yoke and radio set and autopilot set. And uh, it's very, very pleasant throttle quadrant over there. Cool, cool. Um, yeah. And so that, that I used this to practice um, complicated um, piloting issues. So I'm, I'm a pilot. I have a plane. I, oh. I fly it around quite a bit. No kidding. Uh, That's and awesome. One of the things one of the things that you have to do as a pilot is stay current, mm. which means you must practice. This is actually a law, right? There are there's oh, certain okay. uh, legal requirements for practicing. Uh, various kind of things. The skills of of learning how to fly an airplane, the piloting skills are perishable. Uh, if you don't uh, practice them, you lose them. And these skills have to be executed with near perfection in a real-time environment. <laughs> so if you're on an okay. approach to a runway, <laughs> yeah. there's a procedure you have to follow. And you have to follow that procedure pretty precisely uh, not just in terms of what you do, but when you do it. And some of the events come very fast. So um, if, you, if you're not, you know, if you're not really in there, if you don't have the yeah. hot keys in your fingers, yeah, you're, right. um, you're going to miss them. And that's hmm. bad. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm curious, the flight simulator, is that does that count as practice, like uh, legally speaking? From an there... FAA point of view, it does not. I could okay. get the FAA out here to register it. I think it, oh, would, cool. I think it would conform to their requirements. But well, it looks pretty advanced. Well, it's 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 actually this is there's nothing special about this. Hmm. I think there's yeah. about if you in, if you include the processor, I think there's about three thousand dollars worth of stuff here. 
Um, yeah, and the processor nice. was the big expense. I got a, a beefy processor so that yeah. I could have weather. You know, I like thunderstorms and rain and stuff like yeah, that oh, to yeah. practice with. Um, but I, you could do almost as well for about half that. Okay. Um, and and the, the flight sim again, I mean, we're talking about this crazy order of magnitude increase in computer power. The flight simulators are really very, very good. They literally model the flow of air over the surface. Oh, right? That's amazing. They actually fly the airplane, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I, I mean, that's fairly significant mathematics going on in there. Yeah, right. And uh, it's it is reliable enough to get reasonable practice. Now, when I practice, yeah. I, actually, I actually also go up in the air to practice, but it is nice to keep your skills sharp from a procedural point of view by right. flying the simulator. So I spent a lot of time. That's on cool. That. There's a, a group on Twitch, like a, a gaming, you know, streaming, I don't know, I don't know if they have like what, what do you call them company friends I don't know yeah uh, and they, uh, they they did recently uh, a live stream of the flight from like S- Singapore to somewhere like a 24 hour flight or something and they did a live stream real time they 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 set up like a cockpit of like whatever 777 or whatever it is in their studio and they just live stream 24 hours of them flying wow. <laughs> I just thought, you know like hey. the funniest thing i don't know because they made a joke about it or made it funny but uh yeah it was hilarious the, awesome. the kind of stuff that you could do it's impressive um i love it um all right well cool so we uh derek you got anything else before we hop in uh this or that i could talk to uncle bob uh, we could talk for, days, for hours i'm sure we gotta cut know, it i'm point. sure he's got to get back to to the spreadsheet on the left hand side and the other <laughs> stuff that's on the right hand side and doing some other things so spreadsheet. i don't want it to give him too long so yeah jeremy i think you might have a thing all right so bob so we have it. this thing we like to play we call it this or that and as the name implies uh we're going to ask you a series of questions this or that and uh we want you to just answer them it's a way for our listeners to just get uh get to know you a little bit more uh you know do you like this or do you like that do you like that or do you like this uh and just answer them as fast as you can you know don't you don't have to think about it first thing that comes to your head you ready i'm gonna set a timer for a few minutes and uh we'll just get going all right we'll start off small and then we'll we'll get more more into it um dog or cat dog netflix or youtube youtube all right. Uh, phone call or a text message? Depends. Okay. I know everybody is is curious about this one. iPhone or Android? iPhone. All right. So the next one, Mac or PC? Mac. I, Mac, I figured that. All right. Here's one everybody wants to know. IDE or Notepad? IDE. All right. Uh, IDE, uh, Visual Studio or IntelliJ? IntelliJ. All right. IntelliJ. All right. All right. Uh, Space Invaders or Pong? Space Invaders. Space Invaders. I All right. that one. Commodore. I know, I know you're just with that one. <laughs> Commodore or Atari? Commodore. All right. Good choice. Uh, buttons or zippers? <laughs> Depends. Depends. <laughs> Depends on the pant. All right. Take uh, that any way you want. <laughs> uh, high tech or low tech? High tech. All right. Um, let's see. American football or real football? <laughs> Neither. Neither. All right, good. Me too. Uh, here's one that Derek and I are dying to know. We hope you answer correctly. If not, we won't hold it against you. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. Yes. Well, oh, man. All right. Oh. First two. Uh, uh, early, earlier series. 
Okay, I was going to ask you, go. Next Generation or Original Voyager? Original Series, Next Generation, and Enterprise. <laughs> Everything else. Enterprise. Enterprise. Okay, well, the oh, one with, right. uh, mm. with uh, Scott Bakula? Yeah. Great show. That's okay. my Great favorite. Show. Of the three, Enterprise is my That's favorite. That's my favorite, I too. I really like that. So oh, I liked man. the Enterprise show. The intro killed me. Oh, oh you just, just skip with past. the lyrics in the song. Oh, yeah, that's the old Rod Stewart song. And and at first I agreed. I thought, oh, what are they? What stupid, you know, and and then... I really liked it. Yeah, it starts it to grow on you. Okay. My eye. You've got you know, <laughs> the pictures of those astronauts, and and yes. uh, you know, look, they're going to the moon, and they do that little <laughs> click in the. Oh my god! Yeah, and I watch uh, that. And go, okay, I know why they put this song up there. Maybe it was the wrong choice, <laughs> but boy, it won yeah. me over. That's now good. I make I a point I to of listening to it all the way through. Whenever <laughs> I watch fast that forward, Enterprise, it's so funny. I, I watch the intro. So when I was a kid, um, I was probably, gosh, I don't know, 12, 13. I would video, I would record on VHS tape Voyager. And Voyager and actually Sequest, DSV. I don't know if you guys remember. It was kind of like Star Trek, but under underwater. I remember Sequest, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I used to record those, and I had a, I had a catalog of VHS. Anyway, all right, back to it. Um, let's see. Where do we live on? Okay, here we go. Uh, love or money? Love. Love, good. He didn't even pause. Everyone pauses, Uncle Bob. Everyone Everyone pauses, pauses and we just giggle about it for like five minutes. (laughs) Straight to it. All right. Um, Work hard or play hard? Both. All right. There you go. Good answer. Um, Pen or pencil? Pen. Okay. Dot graph or lines? Lines. On your paper. Lines. Lines. All right. Do you prefer whiteboard or chalkboard? Whiteboard, but I hate the inventor. (laughs) <laughs> you hate the inventor of the whiteboard? I, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see what you did there. It just, just All right. wrong. All right, here's a question. Cups in the cupboard, right side up or upside down? Right side up. Right side oh, up. Okay. My answer is whatever my wife says. That's my answer. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, it's the same answer. <laughs> she just happens to choose. Right side All up. right. We got a couple more. Here we go. Uh, Tesla or a scooter? Uh, scooter. <laughs> scooter. All right. I think I'm with you on that one. I think it's more fun than a Tesla. Uh, I like to drive myself. All right. Um, what else we got? Coffee or tea? Coffee. I'm running out of time. Coffee. All right. Beer or wine? <laughs> Beer. <laughs> Beer. All right. Hoppy or weedy? Oh, hoppy. Hoppy beer. All right. Good IPA. Paper book or ebook? Paper. Paper. I like, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I like a, a nice library. In my house. All right. And last but not least, um, here's a good one. Cessna or Beechcraft? Oh, Beechcraft. Beechcraft. He's a Beechcraft man. Okay. For those who don't know, those are those are airplanes. All right, Derek, that's it, man. That's all I got. I think we found out quite a bit. He passed the test on Star Trek. Yeah, that would mean that was the most important So that's important good to hear. I'm really disappointed if you said Star Wars, <laughs> Uncle Bob, but, uh, you know, he, you answered right. Flying good, colors. Good he, even, <laughs> he even likes Enterprise. I, I just, I, you don't meet many Enterprise fans, and so this it means a lot to me personally. That you like Enterprise, awesome. so yeah. um, I I still haven't caught up on the new ep- the new series of Discovery. I gave and Picard. up. I gave, gave up. up. I, I believe they've destroyed both franchises, Star Wars and Star yeah. Trek. I think they've been destroyed. It'll probably take is twenty it, years to get for them to recover. Yeah, is it too dark or what is it that you don't? Yeah, like they, the they're stuff? You're trying to get edgy and dark, yeah. and they're trying to change the whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, Star Trek was a hopeful series, right? Yeah, it was all about hope. This is what we're going to be doing in a couple of hundred years. And now it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to know these people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They're have all you, devious. Right. So I tried to get Derek on this show, but have you seen the Orville? Yes. 
What did you think of it? Or it's kind of a Star Trek spoof, but I'm curious what you thought. I, I I watched about six, the first six episodes or so. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, chance. this is kind of funny and it's kind of cute. And they, they have a, um, a, a nice outlook, but I don't uh-huh. have the time to pursue it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I haven't, I, I haven't yeah. pushed it further. I kind of wish I could because I, I sort of liked it. Yeah, so what I was telling Derek is it's more Star Trek than like the new Star Trek. It's very, it, it's kind of silly, you know, toilet humor and stuff. But uh, it, it, I felt like they did a really great job of of capturing the essence of something like the Next Generation. The first six episodes sillier. that I saw, they were trying to figure out whether it was comedy or serious or what the balance yeah. between those two uh, is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I I thought that's a pretty good idea actually. I thought it was yeah. pretty funny. In, in some places, but then it would get serious. And I'd, I'd wonder, well, what are yeah. they doing here? Mm-hmm. And then I haven't been able to pursue it. So, yeah, you know, well, it's, a, it's not bad. I, I enjoyed day. it. I, Derek, I don't know if you've ever actually watched it, but it it's, never have. I may say that you got you forgotten know, about it. So here back we when I was traveling for work, I watched that kind of stuff while I was like sitting in a hotel room all by myself at night. But, uh, you know, don't do that much anymore, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I can't complain about. Yeah, right. Um, so anyway, all right. So that's that's everything I've got. Um, uh, Bob, is there anything you'd like to promote? Uh, you you're working on some new stuff you want to let our listeners know about? I'm in the midst of uh, another book. Um, I just released the, uh, the 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 draft manuscript to the publisher. The title of the book is Clean Craftsmanship. Uh, I expect that it'll be out early fall, probably. And the book is. Um, it's it's another in the series of the clean series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is about disciplines, standards, and ethics. The disciplines are highly technical. I go very deep into test-driven development and pair programming and simple design. And then I move into all the stuff you want your manager to read, standards <laughs> and ethics. Uh-huh. I love it. Yeah, I like, you know, ethics. Um, we didn't get a chance to talk too much about this, but... You know, I, I love that idea, ethics and software and, and this maybe, I don't know if you're going to touch on it, but this idea of, of perhaps, you know, certifications and. Um, I don't know about certifications. Not, not certifications necessarily, but. Um, I don't, I don't even of? explore the idea in the book. Okay. All right. Okay. I, I, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say in the book is that as an industry, we do not have an ethical framework. Yeah. And we need one because right. our society is depending on us more and more with every passing year and without an ethical framework, we're going to do some real serious damage. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we interviewed Goiko Atsich, uh, a couple episodes ago, a few episodes ago and, and his work on, you know, uh, humans versus computers and software yeah. gone wrong. Yeah. It's just eye opening the amount of, the amount of crap software yeah. developers make people go through because they didn't check their work or think ahead or test or something, you know, and, uh, it's, it's, um, it's Absolutely. interesting. It's frightening, <laughs> especially when you start to think about AI driving cars 80 miles an hour down the interstate. Yeah. Um, I'm not but, betting know, on flying that. airplanes. No. Yeah. So you'd rather a scooter. Well, we'll, we'll be scooting together. Me, you, and Uncle Bob. We'll be scooting together. Yeah. Uh, Got a little scoot, scooter scoot. gang. Um, scooter gang. Clean, those clean boys. We'll call us yeah. the clean boys. Um, That's funny. All right. So, uh, cool. Well, Uncle Bob, it's been an honor having you on the show. Pleasure. Honestly, this like, has been fun. You know, kind of fun, guys. Just, it's just been a great. blast. Yeah, yeah, we're excited, and um, we'll um, we'll I uh, guess uh, hopefully we'll we'll try to have you back on at some point in the future. We'll give you some time sure. to breathe, you know, sure. maybe yeah. like a maybe our hundred and twenty fifth episode, hundred fiftieth episode. Perhaps. We got someone booked for the hundredth, Bob. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, John Aaron, uh, we're <laughs> booking him for the hundredth. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'd we'd love to have you back. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, don't forget, everybody out there, check us out on RetroTimePodcast.com. Uh, go to RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers, and you can get us some stickers. we got those new Goico uh, Retro Times Peak Software Shit stickers. Check those out. Yeah. Those are awesome. Um, what else, Derek? We've got uh, we've got Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that stuff. All if you things. leave us a five-star review, uh, Derek will write you a song. Just take a little screenshot of that and send it our way. And um, I think that's it. I don't have anything else. I'm thinking we might start posting in news groups i think we start doing that yeah let's do yeah, that using that let's do that let's do, i like <laughs> take it. it back to the old school bob's inspiring me <laughs> i love it all right everybody all right. so until next time we'll see you take it easy i couldn't hear what you said siri needs to know what i said sorry <gasps> that's my favorite too uncle bob We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be scooting together, me, you, and Uncle Bob. Uh, got a little scooter gang. Um, clean, clean boys. We've got to call us the clean boys. And cut. Extreme. <laughs>